Here come the police. The knot in my chest tightened as I approached my workplace in Brooklyn, New York. Would there be an encounter with the police today? There was no way of knowing. I could only hope for the best. I quickened my pace and reached my spot at the very center of Burl Hall Park. The park was an oasis of greenery that stretched across three city blocks in the heart of Brooklyn's civic center. Surrounded by Greek revival-styled government office buildings and eateries offering every possible cuisine, it sat just two blocks from Fulton Street, one of the city's busiest shopping districts. The park was lush with honey locust and maple trees, azaleas, daffodils, and tulips, and it was a popular haunt for finch, swallows, blue jays, sparrows, and of course, your native pigeons. The beautiful flowers and birds added to the feeling of a Shangri-La for the busy office workers who ate their lunch on the park's benches and grassy areas while people and cars scurried by on the surrounding streets. I opened my jewelry display, propped it against the black iron railing, sat down on my metal camping chair, and started making and selling my jewelry. In a matter of minutes, using pliers and 18-gauge aluminum wire, I could shape and form letters of the alphabet to spell out people's names. Attaching silver-colored chains turned the names into necklaces and bracelets. A necklace or bracelet cost three cents to make, and I sold it for $2.50. I had 200 popular names already made up, but could easily make custom names while people waited. Everyone marveled at how quickly I could fashion their name into a necklace or bracelet, and they looked on as if watching a magic show. My favorite time to sell was afternoons between 3 and 5 when workers vacated their office buildings and headed for home. Business was brisk over the next two hours. I had sold two dozen necklaces, and then I saw a police car. It was blue and white, and I watched nervously as it slowly patrolled the perimeter of the park. It turned the corner and then suddenly jumped the curb and came barreling towards me on the pedestrian path. I jumped up, grabbed my display and chair, and ran to a nearby subway entrance. I reached the entrance just as the police car pulled into the spot where I had been sitting. Running down the stairs, I hurried through a long, dark passageway and came out on a street at the back end of the park. I found a wooden bench, sat down, and tried to catch my breath. Even for a 25-year-old, this degree of adventure felt too stressful. After a while, I gathered my display and chair and headed back to my apartment 20 minutes away. It was another harrowing day of work selling my wares illegally on the streets of New York in the early 1970s. I did have a street vendor's license, but it came with so many restrictions that it wasn't worth the $2 I had paid for it. 
the license prohibited sales within 500 feet of stores, buildings, or any place where there might be people. But in just two or three hours of illegal selling, I could make enough money to live for a week. On one occasion, after selling, I emptied all my pockets of money and viewed a one-foot-high pile of crumpled bills on my kitchen table. The total was $85, a lot of money in 1970. It was great to be able to make so much money so quickly. There were days when I wasn't so lucky, couldn't run fast enough, and the police gave me tickets. In this time before computers, I never got around to paying them. Three months after a ticket was issued, a blue notice would come in the mail demanding payment of the ticket. The next notice, a pretty pink color, came six months after that, and it was a request to appear in court. Six months later, a yellow notice stated that a warrant might be issued for my arrest. These notices were scary, and they made me uncomfortable. I stashed them in the back of a desk drawer and somehow managed to forget about them. Fortunately, no one ever came after me. I did very well selling jewelry in Burrow Hall Park for about a year until the police increased their presence there, and I had to move on. I moved over to Manhattan on Fifth Avenue, just around the corner from Radio City Music Hall. It felt safe to join the other illegal vendors who could help to look out for the police. But the police were creative, and they started coming in yellow taxi cabs. In one very stressful stint at a police station, I was forced to sit in an interrogation room for five hours, along with a bunch of other street vendors. If we see you on these streets again, we'll confiscate your merchandise, and you'll pay a very heavy fine, said a short, stocky, mean-looking sergeant to all of us. With those words, I decided to end my illegal street vending career. I moved on to legal venues like craft shows, flea markets, and street fairs, expanded my jewelry line, and continued to make and sell jewelry for another 10 years. But it was only on rare occasions that I could make as much money as I had on the streets. With legal venues, there was always competition from other craftspeople selling their jewelry. As an illegal street vendor, I could sell anywhere and had no competition. Looking back these many decades later, it's hard for me to believe that I ever sold jewelry on the streets of New York. Aside from the fact that it was illegal, I had to tolerate the stress of making the jewelry while watching out for the police at the same time. Today, I feel a knot in my chest whenever I see a police car go by. After all these years, it still feels like they're coming to get me.